Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Lady Audacity, it's Alex, and unfortunately today it's just me because our girl Amanda is very sick. She just got home from Ireland and she has a nasty cold that's really wrecked her voice, so we're going to let her rest and rest those vocal cords and we cannot wait until she's back. So for now, for the first half, I'm going to be on my own, but on the second half, I'm going to have Hillary, better known as News by the Hill on Instagram on, and we're going to talk a little bit about the health updates from the British royal family and all things the Denmark accession, and I am so very excited for that. But to kick off the episode, we of course have to go in for our ritual of a banana article of the week. And since we took a little break from January, at first I was like, okay, cool. Like we have a banana article, clear as day, not too much riffraff to go through. But then the news drop about Kate, Charles, and Fergie's health, and things got B-A-N-A-N-A-S bananas, okay? And we'll get a little bit into those banana articles later on when we discuss that. But even with all of that, I'm sure you won't be surprised out of Queen Elizabeth gave giving permission to Harry and Meghan to name a little bit after her or not, or Charles and Kate's health news in the Denmark accession, that the story about Little Bit and Queen Elizabeth II is what came out on top, the banana article of the week. On January 14th, it was dropped by the Daily Mail, I think it was Rebecca English in particular, who had the exclusive for the Daily Mail, that supposedly Queen Elizabeth II was not happy with the naming of Lilibet after her, and she was very upset with Harry and Meghan for saying that they got permission. This all came from a book titled Charles III, New King, New Court, The Inside Story by Robert Hardman, and he pretty much gave permission to the Daily Mail to give exclusives about some portions of his book to drum up interest in it, and obviously the portion that got the most interest was about Harry and Meghan. And what he had said through this exclusive that was dropped on January 14th was that 
the Queen Elizabeth II was not happy about the naming of Lilovich after her, pretty much claiming that a courtier told him that she had said something along the lines that I don't own the land, I don't own my money, I only own my name, rolling my eyes dramatically, if that is true. And on top of that, that she was upset that they said they got permission, but in her eyes, they did not ask permission. So this got a lot of reactions and it started a lot of conversations, some good, some bad. And out of that, articles came about that were truly shocking. And the one that got crowned our Bananas of the Week article comes from Piers Morgan's wife, Cecilia Walden, and it's titled, Megan hadn't earned the right to call her daughter Little Bit. People calling you by a nickname they haven't earned the right to use should be stopped in their tracks. And yes, like Piers, she's obsessed with Megan, she's racist, she's misogynistic, and everything else in between. Which you can tell in this article alone, which is not her first article about Megan. But in this article, it is centered around Megan demonizing her and talking about how she's trash for doing this, even though it is very clear that Megan and Harry made this decision together. And that there's, in fact, articles, I think, from 2021 saying that Harry had always planned to name his daughter a little bit if he had a daughter and had told the Queen about that before he even met Megan. She does have an explanation, though, about why she is centering this around Megan. She writes, why does the implication suggest Megan's involvement more than it does Harry? Because in my experience, mothers tend to have far more sway than fathers when it comes to choosing baby names. Certainly when it came to naming my own daughter, my husband's input largely extended to rejecting various early suggestions. A girl at school was called X and she had cankles. He'd once worked with an X and she was a nightmare before eventually agreeing to my final choice. A reminder, her husband is Piers Morgan, so she's trying to compare the everyday man to the everyday incel. It just, no. She also uses a 2010 survey in Britain that said four in 10 British dads are forced to back down when naming their child to let the wife have their way. And she concludes that with, I think we can all agree, Lilibet has Megan stamped all over it. It truly does not. It truly does not. It has Harry stamped all over it. But obviously we have to get, we have to just, we have to be dumb. We need to dumb ourselves down for this article. So she goes on to talk a little bit more about why she's just so furious about this. There's a type of woman who calls you by a nickname too soon. You're not there yet. You may even barely know each other. You might be a friend of a friend or a neighbor you've crossed in the street once or twice and then boom, out it comes. So Seals, how was your Christmas? Because if the over-familiarity is not enough to set your teeth on edge, it's often a nickname nobody has ever used before, one that will hopefully never be used again. The intention is obvious, to speed up your blossoming relationship into something fully fledged, to con you into believing that you two are, are already intimate. If anyone else is present, they're to be conned into believing the same. Off the bat, Megan isn't a friend of a friend or a neighbor. She was the queen's granddaughter-in-law. So there's just apples and oranges here. And then the use of con is so purposeful it is making sure that Megan's actions aren't only sinister, but they're the equivalent of being criminal, which I just found really grimy because throughout time since Megan has become on the scene, it's all about making sure everything she does should be doubted as being genuine. It should be seen as devious. It should be seen as having a double meaning to it. And that double meaning is something sinister. 
to leave us off with a laugh about all of this, I, I must, I must read this burn book submission. I'm sure this is, she just ripped this straight from her diary. She says, again, we will never know the full truth, but next time you're backed into a corner by someone aggressively calling you by a nickname, they haven't earned the right to use. Remember the agenda and call them out on it. Like with zero context, you would think she was talking about something important. Like, I don't know, racism, misogyny things like that but she's talking about a nickname but she's using aggressive wording that makes it sound like she's standing up for something big that she's giving you a lesson in standing up for yourself when at the end of the day this is about a nickname and it's about the name of a two-year-old girl but she's just really sick about all this it's not just the harry and megan aspect of it all but that they're using a two-year-old child to run this story and this gets a lot more sinister when you look at the timing of certain British outlets raising hell over Lilibet's name. Because this all is coming around, well, January 14th. So that is 13, or no, about 10 days after the records, the court records for Einstein were released. And those were released on January 4th. And in those records, names were unsealed. There were associates, friends, and victims of Gis Gislin Maxwell, along with Jeffrey Einstein. Andrew's name was mentioned in these court records 67 times. He was also named by two other victims who were underage at the time who claimed they were forced to be sexually assaulted by Andrew. I will not call it sex because sex is between two consensual people. So on that note, I will put a trigger warning. Trigger warning. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty details. I'm just going to talk about the summary of it. And one of the victims did talk about the numerous times that she was forced to be in the presence of Andrew. And they call her Jane Doe 3 in, in it, and I will be reading what she says. Jane Doe number 3 was forced to have sexual relations with the prince when, he was a, when she was a minor in three separate ge geographical locations. In London, at G Gislin Maxwell's apartment in New York, and on Epstein's private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And an orgy with numerous other underage girls. Einstein instructed Jane Doe number three that she was given, she was to give the prince whatever he demanded and required Jane Doe number three to report back to him on the details of the sexual abuse. Maxwell facilitated Prince Andrew's acts of sexual abuse by acting as a madame for Einstein, thereby assisting, assisting in internationally trafficking Jane Doe number three and numerous other young girls for sexual purposes. So Andrew wasn't just named, but he was named in the aspect that he participated in the sex trafficking of underage girls. So this all comes out on January 4th, and it's originally reported that the royal family is ready to kick him out. This was January 4th by Sam Greenhill and Rebecca English. It's titled, Prince Andrew will never return to the royal fold and will be forced out of the royal lodge after documents relating to pedophile Jeffrey Einstein detailing sexual assault allegations crystallized King Charles' determination to act. It reads, a source says, when it comes to any public role for his brother, there is no way back. There has always been an agreement that Andrew would be permitted to attend private and family events as is his right, but not public or official ones. That has not changed. Andrew has refused requests by Charles to move into smaller Frogmore Cottage, which had belonged to Harry and Meghan before they left for the U.S. It is now understood the king will redouble his efforts to move his brother in the coming months. A source said, when it comes to family, it is difficult, but this association is just never going to go away. And that means he, Andrew, has to. Right off the bat, too, let's not forget that he participated in the coronation, the queen's funeral. He was just at the Christmas walk in Sandrine. 
I, I butchered that one and Amanda is not here to correct me. I'm sorry, y'all. But that happened on December 25th. So saying that he's only allowed in these like private roles when he has been in very public official roles during public official engagements is just a straight up lie. So that does not happen though. Them supposedly going, or Charles supposedly going to put a foot down and change things up and make him downsize his home that he supposedly cannot afford because it needs quite a bit of upkeep. So they not only backtrack on this story, but bury it by using a two-year-old girl's name and a dead woman's supposed feelings about it. So on January 14th at 5.33, Rebecca English tweets, the Daily Mail's front cover for the following day, January 15th. And it reads, Queen's fury over naming a baby little bit. Aide says Marnock was as angry as I'd ever seen her after Sussex claimed they had their blessing to use childhood nickname. And this is an exclusive by Rebecca English. She then tweets at 558, how the royals have dealt with a torrent of allegations from Harry and Meghan, Queen was as angry as I've, ever, as I've ever seen her after Sussex's claim they had the monarch's blessing to use the name Lilibet. Aid tells Robert Hardman. At 5.59, she tweets a second Daily Mail exclusive written by Robert Hardman, who released the book claiming Queen, El- Queen Elizabeth was furious about the naming of Lilibet. This tweet at 5.59 reads, Prince Andrew could be far more damaging outside the loop were he to be cast out of the royal fold. In terms of tweets and word count, far more focus is put on the story about Lilibet than the story about Andrew. And it's very clear from how these stories are presented and when they were posted about that this story was supposed to be buried under the Lilibet story. And the exclusive pretty much just tells us of why this family is still happily rooted in the bygone age. It reads, the king will not will not just cast his brother adrift. He's very fond of his nieces, and at least Andrew hasn't been disloyal, says one source. But any return to public life is out of the question. His legal problems are not resolved. The public don't want him, and many people still remember his rudeness last time around. And Andrew and his behavior in the workplace, outside of being a supposed child molester, is a completely different conversation. But being rude, there's money laundering, there's just being friends with shady ass people. There's all sorts of stuff. But hey, he hasn't spoke badly about about the family, so it's completely okay to keep him in the fold. Am I right? They go on to say, Royal Insiders highlight two other considerations. First, Prince Andrew remains... penitent and eager to please, though he might not remain so were he to be cast out of the royal fold. As one source points out, Andrew could be far more damaging outside the loop. Second, there are those who fear for his mental well-being. One official who had known him for many years was astonished by the transformation in him when they met again, describing him as almost incoherent. Whether he remains in residence at the Queen Mother's spacious former home, Royal Lodge, is another matter. There will be no eviction order from the King, contrary to reports that he wanted to give he wanted to give Royal Lodge to Prince William, who in any case was not looking for another house move. It is more of a question of, qu- of cost. Royal Lodge sits outside the main Windsor security cordon and requires separate protection. The king's position, according to one source, is quite simple. His brother can either foot the annual security bill of around one million pounds himself or move inside the Windsor cordon where Prince Harry's old home, Frogmore Cottage, is available. I'm also laughing about, a, well, many things about all of this. First off, that we care about this man's mental health and they're using that as a way to, I don't know, make people feel bad for him, which I just find sickening. But then also that part where they say, um, contrary to reports, 
about William wanting a second home when it was literally the Daily Mail who reported that he wanted that royal lodge and has reported that more than one time. So it sounds like their sources are now actually backtracking on what they originally said. And then the key to all of this, which isn't a laughing matter, is that he's more dangerous outside the fold, which just makes me think, what does this man have on these people? And again, how scary it is that as long as you're quiet and you're loyal and that you're willing to please, that it's completely acceptable that you've done heinous things to other people, as long as you don't speak out against the family. Like, again, it's a cult. It's a mafia. But I promise you guys not to get too much on the hiccup of how disgusting Andrew is, but I will end that segment with just really running home about how gross this all is that they are willing to use a child to cover up the fact that they're not going to do anything about a man who's been named 67 times in court records and who has been named by three different um three different girls who at one point were children that were being supposedly sexually assaulted by him anyways That was not all that was happening in Royal News because on January 17th, we got two major health updates from about two major royals. First came one via Instagram from the official Prince and Princess of Wales Instagram. A statement that was posted and reads, Her Royal Highness, the Princess of Wales, was admitted to hospital yesterday for planned abdominal surgery. The surgery was successful and it is expected that she will remain in hospital for 10 to 14 days before returning home to continue her recovery. Based on the current medical advice, she is unlikely to return to public duties until after Easter. The Princess of Wales appreciates the interest this statement will generate. She hopes that the public will understand her desire to maintain as much normality for her children as possible and her wish that her personal medical information remains private. Kensington Palace will, therefore, only provide updates on Her Royal Highness's progress when there is significant new information to share. The Princess of Wales wishes to apologize to all those concerned for the fact that she has to postpone her upcoming engagements. She looks forward to reinstating as many as possible as soon as possible. An hour or so later, Buckingham Palace released a statement to the media that reads... In common with thousands of men each year, the king has sought treatment for an enlarged prostate. His majesty's condition is benign and he will attend hospital next week for a corrective procedure. The king's public engagements will be postponed for a short period of recuperation. So, wowzers, immediately out the bat. Because the British royal family's biggest players are out of the game for a little bit. I mean, Kate is their it girl. She is the star power. And then obviously you have the king. But about this, what's really noticeable is the vastly different statements we got. Because first off, Kensington Palace's statement was released through social media and it's way longer. And I must say, I was just, a, it feels like there's a certain sections of that can be completely taken out. Like the, keep the first paragraph and everything else could kind of go maybe with an extra sentence saying to respect her privacy. Because even mentioning that she had to cancel upcoming engagements makes it almost seem contradictory to the fact that this was all planned. Because if it was planned, then why are you having to cancel engagements? Because it feels like if it was planned, you wouldn't have set up engagements while you were still in recovery. But we're not going to speculate on what is wrong with her because this is her health. And that's, I just think, is tiptoeing along the lines of invasion of privacy and um, parasocial relationships and not going too far with that. But I do think that part of that section of the statement just didn't help out in people speculating and wanting to know what's going on, if this was planned, if it was not planned, and what portion was planned. 
And I also think, you know, there's a big question too if why Charles said more and revealed this and Kate didn't. And I do think there is something to the fact that the Charles is a monarch, he is king, so his health in the hierarchy and in the importance of the job is something he can't be as private about because it will affect Britain if say he was very, very sick and there was a chance of death at all and prayers there is not and everything of course goes well. And since the this was announced, there's been quite the reaction from the British press. And I mean, bananas, you guys. <laughs> like, I mean, I think in some way we expected it. I think, though, it's very interesting how far it went, I think, especially in the attempt to get clicks. We had one from January 18th by Liz Jones. This feels personal. The news Kate is in hospital has hit me like a young member of my family has been struck down. Then you have Alana Kozla on January 17th. Prince William set to juggle childcare and caring for Kate Middleton following her planned abdominal surgery. Then you have Rebecca English that same day. Kate's rock rushes to her side. Rebecca English's deeply personal portrait of Prince William and why she knows he'll bend heaven and earth to support his wife. Then we had a front cover that read, let's pray that they're both okay. Then it's a photo of Charles and Kate. In response to this, people started to make fun of these headlines pretty much. I mean, there was immediate conversation about the treatment of care that Kate was getting because she's a rich woman and because she's a royal compared to your everyday people who have to wait weeks to get a surgery by NHS and are usually kicked out within 24 hours of the hospital. And these are important conversations to have. And none of them were saying that Kate is a bad person because she gets great medical care. They're just pointing out the difference in treatment when you're from a different tax bracket and how that is unfair. But what really started, I think the trolling is not trolling William and Kate, but trolling these articles, especially the ones about William and supposedly juggling childcare because it ignores the fact that he has an entire staff of people to help him. And I think it also just doesn't help too, because it makes it seems like he was only a part-time father. And now that his wife is sick and in bed, then all of a sudden he's going to be a full-time father. It's like, you shouldn't be given credit for that you should just be always doing that and it's hard when 99% of the world um, are just regular folks and a good portion of the world doesn't have even a nanny maybe a babysitter a couple times a week so it's just like there's not a lot of sympathy there and personally I think this is also too to try to drive home how William and Kate are supposedly doing parenting different than everyone before when that just simply is not true I've seen some people suggest that William is somehow doing groundbreaking things with his parenting and again it's just not true other than taking um paternity maternity leave when Kate had George you know taking time for himself and to be with the family he hasn't done anything that's unique or been done for the first time a lot of the things that we see William and Kate do with their children's is playbooks that Diana or Princess Anne created. Diana and Charles were the first ones to take a royal baby on a tour with him, which was with William. We know Diana was very hands-on with the children. There was often complaints that she would have them with her during meetings with her staff to be planning engagements and her projects. She took them out. She took them to water parks. She took them out to McDonald's. Like, she was that hands-on mom. And the Queen Mother, who a lot of times they are trying to say Kate Middleton is pretty much the re reincarnation of, 
was known to be hands-on with her daughters and they moved as a unit together later on in life. So I think it's interesting that we're rewriting history to make it seem like they're doing things never been done before. And also that it's completely acceptable to talk about what a shit father Charles was. Like, I would love to be a fly on the wall when they have to come together after someone just raved about how Charles was, Charles was a horrible father and William didn't like him very much. <laughs> because it's just got to be a little bit awkward. Just a little bit, right? So... There is a lot of responses to these articles and none of, and a lot of them again, were making fun of them. And one thing too, to also go along with this with like the Rebecca English article about him being her rock. She has a photo with, to go along with this photo, to go along with this article. And it's a photo of William who's looking kind of sad. It's him driving and it was him driving, leaving the hospital. And I know that people, when they mentioned that this was done on purpose, that we saw these photos of him on purpose were very just like, how could you say William and Kate, or especially William would want to set himself up to be seen, that he's doing the royal version of a celebrity pop dog. And I keep reinstating to people is that you have to give the press a little bit so they will most likely protect Kate's privacy and not inst- and not invade it instead. Because this hospital, actually, Prince Philip had been to, and I think it was in 2013, and I think he also went to this hospital again in 2021. In 2013, there are no photos of him entering. The only photos we got were days later after it was announced that he had had his surgery and everything was going well. We got video, we got photos of the family visiting him through the front door, and we got photos of him leaving, dressed in a suit, walking by himself, which ran with the headlines about how happy and healthy he was. And then in 2021, he went again, and we got we didn't get any photos of him going in. We didn't get any photos of family visiting other than Charles, but it was reported other family members went to visit him, but there was no photos of that. And then there's one blurry photo of him leaving. And what I think is interesting about that, it shows though that there's a way to get in and out of these hospitals without being seen. I mean, Kate alone went to this hospital without being seen. William, during this pat walk he did later on, entered the hospital through the enter the hospital through his car and obviously through the entrance without being seen, but only when he left. And these are little tidbits. It's kind of like they can't control every little things, but a lot of times when we see the the royals, it's because they want to be seen. But one last thing too about that in terms of what William and Kate do, how it's talked about about what they do. When it comes to the parenting, one thing that Diana and Anne did with their parenting, they were very hands-on parents and they, at least Anne, um, I'm forgetting her ex-husband's name, but he is known to be hands-on with the kids. He's very close to his children that they had together, Zara and um, Philip, not Philip. I'm forgetting that other man's name too. I just think of him as the dude who made the milk commercial, honestly. He just means something else to me other than that. But they were hands-on, but all of these people still worked. Diana worked. There's actually a 2016 article in the Daily Mail that compares um, the work weight, work rates of William and William and Kate versus Charles and Diana when they had children. And Diana, unlike Charles, we know was a very hands-on parent, of course, with the help that she had too. But she was still beating them engagements by like 60 plus engagements more than they are doing with children too. So I just think that thing to take that in mind is something that is always now left out of this conversation around William and Kate and parenting as that there is an example of someone who was able to parent and be there for her children, but also still worked. So in terms of what we're seeing with the royals handling the media around these big health announcements, I am so excited to have Hillary on, better known as 
news by hill on instagram to bring us all just to pick her brain about what we're seeing from this to the denmark accession so excited hi hillary hello how are you thank you so much for having me on of course we've been chatting chatting a little bit on in the dms about this but i'm so excited to have you here to talk more about it because i think one of the big things and i know i personally got quite a bit of slack in my dms for mentioning that possibly kate william have all of these big dogs on their team and their entire point is to help them set a narrative that even around a big health announcement there's an important need to feed the media tidbits little leaks updates a couple photographs to go with the headline so they will hopefully give them space and i know one something i got a lot of heat for when i was talking about the shots of william coming out of the hospital and like i kind of put it bluntly he chose to drive past a wall of paparazzi we didn't get any photos of him going in we didn't even get any photos of him going inside the building let alone walking out of the car and going inside of the building so i just wanted to kind of pick your brain about that type of stuff you know especially as a journalist who sees a lot of the stuff going on behind the scenes do you think william is a victim of the paparazzi in this situation or he's feeding the paparazzi something so i don't know just maybe they'll respect kate's privacy well, I I wouldn't say the word victim. I I would say, you know, very much somebody who knows this game, who's been born and raised in this and his wife has been in this for a long time also, the Princess of Wales, and they they know and they understand that there will be media interest and I don't think in a cynical way. I, I would say, you know, naturally when you hear a surprise announcement like what was announced last Wednesday, that is going to pique the interest of a mm-hmm. lot of people in Britain and it made international headlines but I think particularly in in the UK and to me that that photograph that we saw they knew that was going to happen and and I don't necessarily blame them for orchestrating that because as you say this is about somebody's health they're entitled to their privacy but they also appreciate and understand that mm-hmm. public interest and so you have to weigh up in those moments you know what is public interest and in Ooh, the interest yeah. of the public mm-hmm. so you know with that photo and it stops maybe that that need to get more information and more updates, even though some of that interest is with the best of intent. It's not our business. Exactly. To it's know not any our further. business. That's why, you know, I know here we are not going to be doing any speculating about what's going on with Kate, because when someone says respect my privacy around my health, respect their privacy around their health. And I think especially, too, as a woman and someone who is as powerful as Kate is. And I think so much of her public image has to be quote unquote perfect. I can't imagine how scary it has to be that maybe the world knows something's going on with you and you don't not going to appear perfect because of that. And I also know too, something I've seen brought up because I thought their statement was very interesting. And personally, I thought it unfortunately kind of fed in with people maybe having more interest in what was going on because it gave you little, but it gave you so, there's so much it didn't give. It just kind of naturally people were like, well, what is it? But I think what was really smart so far of what we've seen, because in contrast to say Charles announcement, which did give details about what he was going through and what procedure he would be getting, which is why I think maybe we're seeing them leak a little bit more. Like, There was something on the Sunday Times by Nika a couple days ago talking about how they're doing with the hospital visit, a couple other random topics in there. And, you know, Kate has had troubles in the past keeping the paparazzi and the media off of her back when she's been in the hospital. 
I know her the first pregnancy with George, it was announced because people were all over her and wondering where she was. Well, I think also too, when you look at the the leaks maybe that have come out this week, uh, I think it was very important for them. And I think the right move that very soon after that official statement came out, you know, a lot of media reported citing sources yes. that this was non-cancerous because that would have been the natural next question for the public. So I think, you know, to be fair, I think a lot of the public feel okay we don't need to know exactly what it is but if you could just tell us that it's not something and so I think that was kind of a wise move on their part but also you know as you referenced there I'm sure that their view on this and their approach to this is in many ways influenced by past experiences that they had and one of those experiences was really honestly such a sad and tragic story and it goes back to late 2012 it was announced that you know, she was then the Duchess of Cambridge, newly married. She was hospitalized mm-hmm. with acute morning sickness. Now, at this point, it wasn't even announced that she was pregnant. And so you can imagine the amount of headlines and interest and debate mm-hmm. that that generated. Off the back of that news, while she was in hospital, she was in King Edward the Seventh Hospital in central London. And a Sydney-based radio station, I believe it was called Sydney's Today FM, they did what was intended to be an innocent prank call never thinking that they would get through to the hospital made a phone call pretending to be uh, the queen and prince charles phoning the hospital to check in on their family member now very very sadly uh, a nurse took the call and transferred it on to another nurse believing that it was in fact the queen and you can only imagine how viral that went Sadly, three days after that call, that nurse died by suicide. And so this, what you're seeing today, and I mean, just such a devastating case, you know, it's such a devastating thing to happen to somebody who, you know, it was an innocent mistake, you know, and, um, and, and so I think their approach, the, the approach that the palace will take and the royal family will take will be an understanding the media interest, but also for their safety and privacy, but for the safety and privacy of other people as well. And also remember, it's not as if a hospital in central London has just been shut down for the Princess of Wales. There are a lot of other patients going in and out and it's a trying mm-hmm. time for anybody in hospitals. So it's just a case of I yes, how do you exactly. manage that? Yes, and I think we all know that if the media wasn't fed something, that they would find something, and it most likely would be invading Kate's privacy to do so, like we've seen in the past. So that's why I keep saying it's smart. They're doing this, I'm sure, to protect Kate and to protect others, like you said. And there's been an interesting back and forth, too, like I said, about the announcements. And I just wanted to kind of pick your brain about that of maybe what you why you thought we got two announcements in one day because they were hours apart Kate and Charles announcement even though very different announcements I was I was truly shocked that we got them on the same day were you surprised by that at all I th- yeah, I mean, I think I was really surprised in many respects, but um, I think just the news yes. itself was surprising that there would be two such substantial, you know, health updates within what is such a small uh, working royal family these days. And then to think that by this weekend, there was a third update mm-hmm. within four days about Sarah, the Duchess of York, being diagnosed with skin cancer only six months after being di- diagnosed with breast cancer. And so, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, we know that it was this day last week that the Princess of Wales had her operation. And so, I'm, you know, of course, they're going to wait a day and make sure they put out that announcement first that she's had the surgery and it has gone well. And I suppose maybe at that point, 
it was a case of, you know, we know that King Charles is going to get this procedure next week. We're talking about royals yeah. and health today. Let's put this out as well. And I think it maybe softened the, um, divided the yes. attention on both and the conversation on both. Yes. And so I think it, it, it was shocking, state, not shocking statements, but it was surprising statements to receive. But I, I do understand the idea of doing both. If anything, I was thinking the other day when we learned over the weekend about Sarah, the Justice of York and and her health update and her skin cancer diagnosis, it made me look back at the coverage or, or the attendance on Christmas Day in oh, Sandringham yes. differently. You know, you, you think about it differently because actually at the time, it was a huge surprise to see her there. It was the first time in 32 years that she did that walk to mass with the royal family. And I look at it now and I think... You know, I mean, she she said this week she's taken some time to to be with her family and everything. So she has most likely known about this diagnosis yes. since before Christmas. And so uh, it, it just makes you look at that differently. And I suppose the sensitive approach that the palace must have had to take on how they, you know, announce all this, keep the public informed, but, you know, maintain the respect and privacy of people yeah. that are going that are, you know, going through health issues like you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're royal or what you are. You, you go it's scary. And- yeah, very scary. <laughs> I yeah, I I'm I don't know why, but part of me is still shocked. I think especially about Kate. Um, I think it just kind of says like, even though I know a lot of this is just her public image, but to see a woman who's always presented to us so perfectly plucked and glowy and shiny and beautiful is sitting sick in a hospital bed it really is still kind of jarring to me and obviously a speedy recovery to all of our all of the royals all of them but on something a much happier news (laughs) we had the Denmark accession which was very exciting that was on January 14th and I immediately I think the biggest thing that stood out and I got a lot of comments and questions about was why they did that instead of a coronation. And a lot. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot of people assuming that they did an accession and instead of a coronation because they're reading the room of the modern times. But I was looking it up and they haven't had a coronation since 1840. Yeah, I mean, I think actually they, the Danish royals are have received a lot of credit in the last few weeks. And uh, this is just a continuation on uh, how it has been and how mm-hmm. it has been for a hundred and 
57 no 170 years I'm not good at math I'm good at royals I'm not good at math (laughs) what's really interesting to me about the Danish royalty is the fact that on the one hand they are one of the oldest royal families in the world certainly in Europe and on the other hand they have this modern feel to them now and this modern touch right and basically as you say you know yes they've been a there's been a monarchy in Denmark for a thousand years but it wasn't until 1849 that it became a constitutional monarchy. Now, I think the first uh, coronation, it definitely did have coronations, by the way. It had coronations like the coronations we know (laughs) and we saw last May. But to my understanding, the first was in like 1170 or something like that. And then basically in the 1600s, Denmark became a hereditary monarchy. So that brought a bit of change. And then it kind of the idea of a coronation and the the accession to the throne changed again when in 1849 it became a constitutional monarchy. And that was the point where it basically abolished the anointing practice. And it kind of became what we saw basically on the 14th of January, a pretty straightforward handover. Anointing, that is the like by God, like God gave you this okay and i think that's really important too because again the contrast of the coronation and just that that belief that god gave you like the supreme blood pretty much you and your family and that's why you rule is such an outdated concept (laughs) especially now in 2024 so even if they didn't change the roles then i think it says a lot about the denmark family and their lasting power and why they're so popular among their country they have like an 85 percent approval rating right now which is huge oh my god they're so popular and that's a consistent rating by the way that's not just because of you know recent headlines and the fact that they're in the headlines a lot and generating a lot of international um media coverage on the country they are consistently they seem like so reading the room has been going on since the 1800s they realize okay yes exactly (laughs) because i don't know about you but i i felt actually very um watching the scenes on the 14th of January, there was something about it. Don't get me wrong. There's tradition there. You know, it's a monarchy at the end of the day, but there was also this feel of it being a family oriented day. And that was something that I think a lot of people felt was lacking last May that that really, to be honest, I felt that we were watching a family moment as much as I felt a transition from one um sovereign to another frederick is like tearing up while his mom is signing off like oh my goodness it's just it's everything you want because yes that photo photo. and then he says he oh my gosh and he's just oh my god he's like looking up just kind of scared excited but scared and sad and there's this one point that i saw a couple journalists quoted him as saying like are you sure ma after she had stood up and signed and stuff like that like because I think that's what we want to believe, even if we don't know what's really going on behind the scenes that a lot of these families are like. Like, yes, there's duty. Yes, this is work. But this is a family at the end of the day. And that's what it was giving throughout the process. I mean, again, King Frederick throughout was wiping tears away. And I thought that was very beautiful, like, throughout to see that. Because it just felt personal. It felt less out of touch, <laughs> you know, than the gold and the tiaras that have just, you know blood on them and it's just yeah whether this was happening in 1800s or not it was a very good call and I can't help but think sometimes that Denmark and many other European royal families look at the British royal family and the issues they have and it's just kind of like 
catch up guys. Like you got to catch up. You got to read the room a little bit because I'm sure that didn't cost 10 million pounds either, which is another big thing, which I feel like what comes down to when it comes to the British coronation was the money. You saw something swift. You saw something that was still work, but was still personal. I mean, seeing Mary and King Frederick come out and the kiss and everything like that, which I thought was beautiful. And I would, and a little sidebar here, which I find really interesting because I saw a couple of people kind of criticize that kiss because they still have in their mind those reports that happen in, what was that, December about now, late November, November late now November, King November, Frederick was yeah. seen with um, a Mexican actress in Spain. It just, the photos don't look good because he was said to be spending time with her late at night, returned to her home where she lives alone, didn't leave until the next morning. But from what I've heard, that didn't get a lot of traction in Denmark. Like it made more international news than it did in Denmark alone, which I think again says a lot about their popularity maybe in Denmark and King Frederick's popularity that they won't even entertain that type of stuff. I think it said a lot about uh, Queen Mary's popularity too a sense of protection because actually even though king frederick is incredibly popular in denmark don't get me wrong of course he is queen mary is mm-hmm. of the two we the heard that came and, out <laughs> you know i can't yeah i mean i can't speak to what the sentiment was like in in denmark but i know that basically it coincided so these photographs were taken in spain and it coincided the release of these photographs and these articles in tabloid media in Spain coincided with a royal visit that the Spanish royals did to Denmark. Mm-hmm. And so it must have been no matter what, you know, I mean, the Danish royals haven't publicly uh, commented on this, but the woman in the photographs with who was then Crown Prince Frederick did comment and was very, very clear mm-hmm. that she flatly denied the statements and the suggestion of a romantic relationship. She was in in contact with her lawyers um but that must have been a very yes. very difficult week regardless right and the idea that you have to be so public cook for this scheduled visit with the oh spanish royals God. i'm sure that was a, yeah a tough week this may will be it'll mark 20 years before their wedding and i think they're a very very popular couple and so maybe it was an idea that people just didn't want to give this mm-hmm. any because i any, any yeah, I don't know a lot about know. how the relationship is between the royals and Denmark media. Like, I'm not sure. But it does, in a way, kind of remind me of what happened with William when those rumors were going about with Rose. Or even in 2016, when that video and those photos came out of him partying on that ski trip. And this is the Daily Mail quote, not me, but they said that a woman slut dropped on him. <laughs> okay. That a lot of the British media didn't really talk about it. It was like a one and done story, but international media has continued it on. So it does make me wonder sometimes if there's just a little bit of them being able to tell the Denmark media, we're not going to go there with it. And again, maybe there's just no real interest in hearing that, hearing that story because Queen Mary and King Frederick are so popular and they're so popular together. Kind of like how William and Kate are so popular together. I think the thing that piqued my interest the most was what I'd love to know is did it play mm. a role, if any, in the decision to abdicate, which seems Very to be a real surprise. surprise. Yes, it was in 2016 that Queen Margaret, she said, it's always been you stay as long as you live. That's what my father did and my predecessors and the way I see it too. So that was 2016 and here we are in 2024 and she opened up the year announcing that she would be stepping down. And yes, I would love to know your thoughts about that. The why? Why do you think so? Because I know there's been some health issues with her, 
maybe she's just like, I'm tired and I deserve this, which she does. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she's 83 years old. She's been very, very clear about the, the health issues she's battled. She had uh, surgery last year and has long had issues mm-hmm. with her back. Um, but at the same time, it was a it was a surprise announcement because it wasn't, you know, she's been quoted many times, not just in 2016, talking about how this yeah. was a title for life and um, praised other monarchs for their approach to that, including Queen Elizabeth II in the past. We don't know what the exact reason was, um, but I do find it interesting, the idea of how she was able to to do it it felt again like quite a full circle moment to abdicate on the the yes, anniversary of your accession so beautifully done it just felt mm-hmm. it felt clean and like a happy occasion and you know often you know more often than not and is the norm that a lot of people are used to is the idea of a coronation exactly. coming off the yes. back of the death yes and I think so soon you know? after you know Queen Elizabeth passing away and then the coronation of a Britain there's you can just really feel the difference in the vibes that happening and the importance, I think, of having that support and having the former monarch be there to support you, to be seen with you, cheering you on and happy for you. And like you said, without a death, without mourning. So it's like everyone can be excited and everyone can celebrate. And they did celebrate. I think they had a crowd of about 300,000 people. 300,000 people showed up to just see them at the balcony for probably 15 minutes total. And I think they said over 2 million Mm. people watched, like half of the population watched the session too, which again says a lot about the interest and the popularity. And I do think maybe how smart it was because Margaret is a very popular figure too. I mean, every time I see a picture of her smoking a cigarette, I don't smoke cigarettes, but it genuinely brings me joy because there's just something so human about it seeing a monarch be human and have human and have faults you know like that just I swear I separate the two I'm like Queen Margaret of Denmark <laughs> Daisy and her cigarettes Daisy and her cigarettes <laughs> painting or you know sewing something for the costumes <laughs> yeah we are exactly. she's like I'm gonna go smoke my cigarettes and go paint in the sun leave me alone and good for her like genuinely good for her so happy for her <laughs> yeah and so, and there's actually, I remember reading um, that Queen Margaret was actually good friends with Elizabeth, um, Queen Elizabeth II, too. And I know there's quite a bit of relations, right, between the Denmark and the British royal family and overall, the, all the European families. Because I remember they made a video, I think, for Daisy's 80th birthday. And it was like Norway, Spain, um, Sweden were like calling her like Grandma Daisy or something like that. And, and it was very sweet. No British royals, of course. <laughs> they were uh friends and relatives you oh, know wow. i mean they're third cousins distantly related um but they uh they seem to have had a lot of affection for each other a lot of that is evident based on actually interviews that queen margaretha did because as we know the late queen elizabeth ii didn't kind of do yes. those informal um interviews in the same way but it certainly seems to have had a huge amount of affection for one another a uh, massive amount of respect um, I think they, I'm, I'm pretty sure confident they refer to each other quite affectionately uh-huh. as Daisy and Lilibet. Um, and I think what was interesting is that what probably bonded them, right, is the idea that neither of them were born ever believing that they would one day oh, be I queen. I know that about Daisy. You know, um, I think when you think back about the 
abdication in the UK in 1936, that really changed the trajectory mm. of the royal family. You know, when when Queen when Princess Elizabeth was born in 1926, she would never yeah. like her parents would have never expected that she would be uh, a queen one day. You know, first of all, her uncle was going to be the king. Second yep. of all, she was a woman. You know, and the same. Well, not the exact same, but similar in uh, Denmark. So Queen Margrethe, Princess Margrethe, was actually, it wasn't until she was 13 that a law was changed in Denmark following a referendum. And that was basically what allowed a woman to to become queen. And even though there was that, that that was brought into law, it still gave precedence to male descendants. And if Queen Margrethe, who has two sisters that had a brother, she still would not have become monarch so I'm sure that was a bond and I'm sure Mm -hmm. there were conversations that they would have had together saying you know our parents when we were born this is not the future they Mm -hmm. would have thought for us and look they ended up being two of the longest serving um queens I don't know it's like look at us look at us (laughs) I actually think about both of them too and I I think that they are in many respects a window into um what we learn about when we learn about the history of royal families, particularly in Europe. And I think a lot of times, um, a lot of times, you know, the connections to different European royal families is made through Queen Victoria. And she's referenced a lot of times as the grandmother of Europe. But I actually maintain that King Christian the Ninth is the first person to talk about when we want to talk about connections to European royalty. King Christian the Ninth, he reigned from... Don't quote me on this, but 1863, I think, to 1906. I'm going to double check that, but I'm nearly sure. And he was a great, great grandfather to both Queen Margaret wow, and okay. Queen Elizabeth. Him and his wife, Queen Louise, had six children. Four of them ascended oh, wow. European thrones. So, yeah, and those connections still so, last to this day. I can yeah, I can go there if you want. I see, love is this. that like <laughs> looking at very smart political marriages, pretty much? It was all strategic. This is the prince and he's going to be king of this land. So this is who you're going to marry or she would. 100%. So for, for example, um, his daughter, um, Princess Alexandra, married King Edward VII of uh, Britain. So so would have been Queen Elizabeth's oh, wow. great-grandmother. Another daughter, Princess Dagmar, married the Tsar Alexander of Russia. Prince Frederick became the Danish um, king. But another son, um, Wilhelm, <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, he actually became King George I of Greece, despite having no oh connection to the country at the time. <laughs> Basically, in the 1860s, there was a, a coup that overthrew um, another monarchy. And he came in as King George I of Greece. And that's where you see, you know, you might see those references to Prince Philip who was, when he was born, Prince Philip Greece. Okay. Of, of Greece oh, okay. Wow. So they were very successful at their jobs, pretty much. Very. They were. And and um, King Christian's grandson became the king of Norway. Wow. So the, the, the weed. So he is the grandfather. Yeah. Like this man is the one who really started it all. And I think, mm. sorry, coming back a little bit more to like Margaret and Queen Elizabeth II's relationship, because. I think it was really interesting what you said too about how Margaret did interview. She did informal interviews. And that's not something we ever saw for Queen Elizabeth II, very rarely. And we've had a lot of articles Mm -hmm. too. Well, not lately, but in the run-up to the accession, a lot of articles comparing Mary and Kate, 
pretty much saying like independent woman beautiful they look just alike even though i totally disagree with that they're both just like brunettes <laughs> um, <laughs> like no they don't look alike but okay and talking a lot about their work and what i find really interesting is in those comparisons that Kate couldn't do the work that Mary does because I don't think the British population would have the same response that the Denmark population has. Because Denmark's far, I would say, more liberal than Britain is. Because I can't imagine Kate being able to say, even speak out about domestic violence against women, about feminism, about LGBTQ plus issues, or about racism and get the same response that Mary would get because, well, Kate doesn't talk about those things. Well, I think a lot of it is, um, well, I don't know which comes first, right? But if you look at, we talked about the popularity of the Danish royals in Denmark, and they're always consistently around the 80% mark and above. The the popularity in the UK is yeah. generally a lot less. I think around the 60%, if you mm-hmm. were to look at the family in general and the idea of the yeah, royal, royalty the and the monarchy. But there's a lot of fierce debate that, yeah, there's a lot of fierce debate that goes on um, in the UK about the the monarchy, but not just the monarchy itself. I think in the last few years, there's been a huge debate in the UK about the legacy and history of the British Empire. And, you know, they're intrinsically yes. linked to many people. They're, they're, they're so deeply intertwined in many respects that it's just a delicate balance. And I think there's that motto of never complain, never explain really speaks to that idea of it being Mm -hmm. such a fine line. And so I'm sure there's a lot of caution. I would imagine that there's a lot of, Mm -hmm. not a lot of, because there aren't a lot of them, but I would imagine that there are of the British Royals, many topics they feel very passionately about, but have a nervousness about how to go there. Because even at the time when they started speaking about mental health close to 10 years ago, that was huge at the time. And that might be country to country, something that's actually quite normal and expected in other countries and other monarchies. And so I don't know which comes first. Is it that the Danish royals are more popular because they speak about it? Or is it that they speak about it because they're more popular? Yeah, that's very true. And I also feel like too, maybe it goes back to the bygone era. It seems like the Denmark royal family has let go of that I mean, decades ago, while we see the British royal family is still very much trying to hold on to that bygone era, like you saw with the coronation, while trying to fit themselves as modern and not kind of realizing you can't have both. And I also think, too, again, I don't know as much about the Denmark royal family, so I could be wrong here. But I also feel like the British royal family is so exclusively tied to the Tory party, which is the conservative political party in Britain, while the Denmark British, the Denmark royal family doesn't seem tie to one political um one political party like the british royals are because they mostly hire from the tory party it's very few far in between you see them hire from the labor party where it feels like the denmark aren't doing that like they're not pulling from a political party which i feel like maybe helps them get such high approval ratings i think um the the political side to it is actually just a byproduct of a class system that exists mm-hmm, in the UK. And so I don't think it's necessarily this idea of we are linked to the Tory party. I think it's a, it's the class system that has existed in the UK. It's almost Tory. a default that there would be a seen as a closer affiliation. Yes. I mean, they will never talk about politics. They will never say how they vote. They will never weigh in on referendums or votes or anything or elections. And there's been, you know, a total mix. If you look across the board of the prime ministers that reign that, you know, were in office during Queen Elizabeth's reign, 
it was a total mix and yeah. they all said they got on with her but I think the perception and the idea that they are more linked to the Tories is not so much about politics Ooh, but about yeah, class that's, that's very true because it seems like you know, it seems like also like one of those jobs, I think in America, you talk a lot about nepotism and how nepotism can get you into certain fields. Like right now, fashion weeks are going on. So I think about that a lot, how they talk about you have to have money to be in fashion, especially to start off in fashion. And it kind of seems like because it doesn't pay well. And it's like with the British Royals, their staff isn't paid well. So it's like you have to have money to be able to work for the British Royals and then get that step up, just put on your resume. Oh, I work for them. And then hopefully from there you get a better job. And yeah, like you said, classism, that's usually going to be people that are coming from very upper class to the Ristos working for you. And they all seem to, not all, but most seem to fall into the Tory party. Yeah, that's very interesting. That classism. And it's not necessarily just money, it's mm -hmm. it's old money. And I think what is different, so for me personally, I'm Irish, but I lived in London for seven years and I moved to the US this year. So it's been really interesting for me to see cultural differences and how that plays into conversations about news and current affairs. And I would say the biggest difference to me is the idea that in America, you just, you make yeah. money and you have money. And in the UK, it's it's such a different thing. It's not just about your net worth. It's about your education, your background, you know, possibly even like, do, does your family have titles? And so, you know, if I won the lotto in the UK today, I still don't qualify so for those things. It's a class yes. system more than it has been in yeah, anywhere I think else about like, world. say the Kennedys, that was such a fascinating fascination and say like the nineties and stuff like that, but 2024 and the Kennedys aren't a big deal you know and that's old money it's kind of like we let that go we just know our nepotism babies and nepotism babies they can be hey my mom is an actress and that's how we got our money we don't really care about how you know how far down the line it came which I think too and I have to ask we, I have to ask you about Meghan Markle because especially being Irish living in London and stuff like that how much do you think class worked against Meghan when she came into the scene versus say racism or xenophobia? Can I just say really quickly though that the example you gave there of the Kennedys is such a perfect example because of how in America it's different that one generation to the next yes. can can change because uh, Kennedy's father wasn't allowed because he was Irish Catholic wasn't allowed into a golf course somewhere in Boston I'm going to find out the name and why that's why they got the house in Hyannis <laughs> so which funny. became so yes. famous on it's like, yeah like Americans we can't be like think we're too above that because we definitely had that in the past but yeah like you said it could change more generation from generation because <laughs> 2024 it's like okay Kennedy I don't know it's like Ariana Grande is better I don't know like I just thought that was such an interesting example because being Irish have just moving to Boston too I'm so intrigued oh by yes that and the history of it I just I would yeah love to know your perspective of, of that because like I haven't really got to have someone on here and pick their brain I think too who were in London and in Britain during that time and also have roots in Europe I mean being Irish of just what what you saw when Megan came along from the conversations going around you to what you were actually reading in the media, because I'm sure it's a little bit different than, say, what I can read in British media coming from the U.S. Honestly, the uh, there was a lot of excitement and uh, it was a kind of a breath of fresh air. And maybe maybe that played into the class system that uh, the general population was really excited about it. I think a lot of the media was very excited about it at the start. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of evidence of that. And I think there was some atrocious articles published in tabloids 
that rightly have been, mm-hmm. you know, highlighted. Uh, but I think there was a lot of excitement yes. there as well. It wasn't just American. She was on a show a lot of people watched. Harry was the most popular royal at the time. Do I think there was a class issue? I think ultimately, ultimately, I would say, I think it would be a huge struggle to not grow up in the world of aristocracy and immerse yourself in the royal family. And I think that would be a huge mm-hmm. challenge for every anybody. Um, in a different way, Kate Middleton and the Middleton family experienced a huge amount of classism when when that relationship began, I think right up to the wedding, yes. to be totally honest with you. And so it's just a different world you know there's there's aristocracy in the uk and then there's that's so interesting you bring up kate because for the patreon deep dive i did william and kate's early years so i went over a lot of old articles and what i found so interesting about kate is how her class was used against her but then it was used as something positive but then it was against her then it was something positive because it felt like whenever they broke up suddenly the classes classes articles were kind of spiking up a bit more but then when they were together, it was something like, oh, this is a, you know, this is great. This is um fresh air. We love this. The people love this. Because I think you really see that too. Is it seemed like the people really did love Kate. And they loved the fact that she wasn't from the aristocrat setting. But the people writing these articles, even though they weren't aristocrats, felt like some need to hold up that standard. So you get these little digs against her. And it kind of feels like where you see the people and the people writing these articles, the difference of opinions there and how maybe the general public isn't actually being represented properly and their feelings about that. But you, but you think about it. I mean, we've mentioned already, if you, if you compared it to American culture, had this been happening in America, it would have been the story of how, you know, her parents made a, a huge fortune when they didn't come from exactly. it and the entrepreneurial side and you know what they've done and how they've used that money to educate their children and they invested in their kids and they gave them everything mm-hmm. and isn't that the dream and then the reverse in the UK can be you know ultimately it doesn't matter how much money you make you I read an article where they were world. they were claiming and I don't believe this but they were claiming that well the queen I don't believe the queen would make this dig I don't know maybe I still think she's more dignified than she actually was but people were making digs at the Middletons because they had a paved driveway and not um <laughs> I think a stone one or a brick one instead like that is just how bad it was for them they decided to get their their driveway paved. It really shows that they're new money. Like I was just like, this is this is ridiculous. And they did have to wait years to finally get props for building being self made millionaires. Because I feel like now we see that when it comes to the Middletons, because they've won their way into people's hearts. But in the beginning, none of those, like you said, none of those things were good things. And it does seem like William's friends. They even say Harry at one point were making digs against her class. So I always think about like. I can't imagine what Megan came into with that and then being American and being um, biracial too, when she had to go to the country and do the whole shooting weekend and stuff like that, how that was for her, because that just seems just Aristo. Oh, oh I want to say Aristo Hal because it would be for me. I feel like <laughs> I would not want to be a part of that. <laughs> I think the the nicest way I could describe it is just a culture within a culture. A very posh culture. That's why, too, I always find it interesting when people will, like, note that Kate speaks differently now. And I'm like, of course she would kind of, like, 
just little things to edit her accent because it means everything when you think about the class system. You want to have a posher accent because if you just say a word in a certain way, it just shows where you are on the class system and who no one wants to be below their Risto. I remember at one point people picked up like, and I think Megan was like using, there was a slight like British accent suddenly coming from her. And I'm just like, yes, I'm like, she's probably so Maybe. desperate to fit in that she's doing it. And I don't blame her. I would probably pull a Madonna too or a Dorit from Beverly Hills Housewives and suddenly have an accent. <laughs> Well, I think if I went, ever went back to Ireland with the British accent, I think my dad would tell me exactly where to go. <laughs> I, I love the Irish, I must say, when Queen Elizabeth II died, I shouldn't say this, but they provided a lot of entertainment on Twitter. <laughs> like, I, I could not get over them. I was like, I really need to look into the history here because I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling resentment. <laughs> Well, we should do a deep dive one day because I take a very fair approach to this and I've done a lot of writing on this before and our history as two neighboring countries is very, very deeply complex and the relationship with the royal family, you know, plays a part in that and, you know, it's been, it's been challenging, but I think actually the queen during her reign, uh, brought a lot towards the end, made a visit mm-hmm. to, I don't want to get into too much now to bore you, but basically um, the idea that the queen was the longest reigning British monarch ever, but only made one visit to the Republic of Ireland speaks to just how much conflict there was between both countries. She yeah. made a visit in 2011 and it was so, you know, hotly anticipated. And there was a lot of nerves on both sides from politicians about how it would go. It could not have gone better. It could not yeah. have gone better. And she was very warmly received. And, you know, you have to remember that in 1979, Lord Mountbatten was murdered by the IRA off the coast of Ireland. And uh, it had, so for them personally, for their family, it has been challenging also. And yeah. when she came to Dublin Castle, she said, I, I want to paraphrase here, but she said, you know, you can be you can bow to the past without being bound by it. And I think the visit was very well received and that was always very interesting to me. And I think also if you look at politics in Northern Ireland at the moment, Sinn Féin, a Republican party who want a united Ireland, uh, were very uh, professional, I thought, in their statements following her death. And it was very respectful to the British people on the island of Ireland. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to get into that with you one day because I think there's so many interesting dynamics there. Um, But yeah, anytime. Because I, I, cause I think that's too, I always think these histories are so important to even knowing why royals are going to these countries. Like, why do they, why are they visiting Ireland? Why are they visiting Scotland? Because there's history there. There is a movement to maybe get rid of the, Brit- the British royal family, or just there's tension between this, this country's government and the British government. So things like that, I feel like people, it's like these, they don't pop in for these visits just for fun. There's always a political reason. There's always a history there why they have to be going there and why they have to be seen smiling and being with the people and supporting local organizations too. 
which I think why we'll see William and Kate doing going to Ireland and going to Scotland, especially right now, a lot more. When I was a producer at CNN, we did a, a tour before uh, Meghan and Harry's wedding in 2018. We did a trip to Belfast and it's one of the few places that when the royal family go, it, it's really just not announced until they're there. And so um, we arrived over the night before and it's really under very, very strict embargo when they go to Northern Ireland and it speaks to the sensitivities of the relationship. The, mm-hmm. the visit went really well, but at the same time, it's it's not announced too far in advance and there was heavy heavy security let me tell you that's very interesting and, and then I think about that I'm like of course they sit the shiny new couple you know what I mean because this is a shiny new couple everyone's excited about them drum up you know interest drum up support for us it was part of a, a, a British tour um in the months before the wedding um that they kind yes. of just toured the whole of the the UK I, I guess Thank you so much for this. That would thank you. And we really do need to do an Ireland deep dive because I don't know, there's just so much to talk about there. And I can really get going when it comes to the British well, the British government and the British royal family and how they have just done heinous things to other countries and how interesting it is to see them now in modern times try to make up for that without really ever directly talking about it. I, you know, and why we have these tours. Because, because again, I think people forget the reason why they call it a charm tour is because they're trying to charm people to forget about something, usually. <laughs> to pretend like that didn't happen or they're not a part of it, you know? Well, how about I propose this to you? Why don't we do one for Patty's Day this year? Oh, <laughs> yes. I will. I might actually drink some beer for that. <laughs> what perfect timing. I'll get my breakfast, we'll get green tops on, and we'll talk about it. Yes, that would be perfect. And you're in Boston. I know you're going to be feeling an Irish pride, okay? I know. I might be drunk, but we'll see. <laughs> even better. Even better. I feel like Margaret would be proud of us. <laughs> I'm not going to smoke a cigarette for her, but I will. I exactly. I won't either, but I'll, you know, I'll pretend for her. I'll feel fabulous like she looks fabulous when she's just smoking and painting away. <laughs> <laughs> we do not promote smoking cigarettes on Lady Audacity, just Margaret being fabulous. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and letting me pick your brain and just uh, giving us all of this history too. Thank you so, so much. It was an absolute joy. Thank you so Thank much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. And please tell the people, you know, I know you also have a Substack, right? Or a Patreon? Patreon, yes. Yeah. Yes, but, um, let the we'll people see. know where they can find you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, my presence is mostly on Instagram. It's News by Hill. And basically what I model myself as is a personal stylist on news. So I don't claim to do the journalism. I don't claim to put it all together, but I summarize it for you. I go through everything and I'll say to you, here are your staples. This is what you need to know. And this is what's trending. And so I do that all the time. And I kind of cover everything from politics, geopolitics, royalty, Mm -hmm. whatever's going on, we're covering it. Yes. And I know because we talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, especially people who are interested in keeping up what's going on with Israel and Palestine. You have been an amazing follow for that. So thank you so much for that. You guys, a great follow if you want to keep up on that information too. And you'll get your royal news along with that. So you get it all. And especially with upcoming elections, you guys follow her. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Here. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, no, of course. Thank you. And you guys remember, pinkies up.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.